Welcome to a special edition of the Always Stay Tuned podcast. Over the next eight episodes, I will be talking to a number of professionals from the world of psychology about their experiences as they've progressed within their careers. We'll be discussing why many of us choose to get into psychology, but also some of the abuse that we have to endure just to get an opportunity to work in this industry. Welcome to Psychology, My Heritage and Me. today's show, we'll be talking to a trainee clinical psychologist based in the north of England. So welcome along. Do you want to introduce yourself for our listeners? Sure, of course. I'm Abigail Daniels. I'm a final year trainee clinical psychologist. I'm originally from Croydon, South London. If you know the place, you know the place. Um, and both my parents are Nigerian. Um, my dad was born in Nigeria. My mom was born here, but studied and schooled in Nigeria. So I guess I probably feel hybrid Nigerian, British, British Nigerian, whatever. <laughs> um, excellent. Um, so yeah, and obviously we're talking about South London. So saying it's a brilliant to have another um, sort of South Londoner um, as For well sure. to, to speak to. Um, so it does not happen very often these days. Um, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you'd be surprised, um, which is nice. You know, diversity is nice and everything, but you know, it's just there's just some things about South London that some people I think won't get unless you grew up in, in South London. Sure. Um, sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you want to do you want to tell us a little bit about the field that you work in and, and what yeah. your job title is? Uh, so I'm currently a trainee clinical psychologist. Mm-hmm. So I've done undergrad psychology degree and now I'm doing my doctorate in clinical psychology. So it's a three year course and I'm in my final year. I'm currently doing my thesis. So I'm hoping to finish that before the end of this year um, about people's experiences of discrimination and the impact it has on their mental health and psychological processing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been on placement across those three years and I'm current, well, I'm coming to the end of my placement. Literally today is my last day. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm currently on placement half time at a psychotherapy team and half time at a trauma service, but I've hopped around during the course of my studies. So I'm not tied to anything specific. <laughs> I can I can imagine. Um, just for just for our listeners who um, are maybe a little less familiar with the position, can you tell us about the kind of things like a, a clinical or training clinical psychologist might do, and, and maybe a little sure. bit about your placements as well? Of course, I guess the foundational thing of what I do, no matter what setting, is trying to make sense of people's distress. So um, whether it's an adult learning disability placement, whether it's people that have had trauma, childhood or adult. Um, veterans, Mm. um, people in psychological medicine with like um, long ongoing mental illnesses that have kind of come as a result of their physical illnesses. Mm. I'm trying to make sense of what's going on, how best can we help you? And then we'll often do either short or long-term therapy. So um, I might be helping with thoughts, feelings, how they make sense of their illness, how they make sense of their diagnosis or how even within a system. So when I was working with children, it was often a lot of family work and how they can support Mm. the young person. So that's it, I guess, in a yeah. nutshell. That, that's it in a nutshell, yeah. Um, and and uh, like your thesis as well. Um, again, really interesting uh, sort of topic. What what was your motivation behind that? Do you know what? It was just of the times. I can't claim to have had. Oh gosh, of course, the door 
Um, of course, I've had um, an entire process where I was meant to do one topic and because yeah. of all the work um, that kind of couldn't happen because of corona, I've yeah. not been able to do that. Um, a difficulty has been on my part anyway that you couldn't recruit. And then everything that's happened, that term that everyone seems to use over and over again, has kind of meant that I switched to a topic that was really close to home. So a lot, obviously, the influences of the death of George Floyd and the protests yeah. that happened, it just seemed appropriate. And I'm really happy with what's happened so far. You're listening to the Always Stay Tuned podcast. So um, just so you know, Abigail is back safe and sound. Um, <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask a little bit about sort of maybe why you got into the field. Um, so what, was, what was your motivation for, for wanting to, to you know, be a, a clinical psychologist? Um, I wish I could say, like everyone that says they're a clinical psychologist, that I knew I wanted to do this from the very beginning, but that would mm. be a massive lie, mm. if I'm honest. Um, so I, obviously I'm from Croydon, but I ended up going to secondary school in um, Wallington, which is kind of more the Surrey side. Mm-hmm. And... I left my secondary school because of, well, a whole host of reasons. Mm-hmm. But in my A-levels, I did really poorly. Like, I ended up switching all my ASs and A2s for mm-hmm. my second year. And I actually didn't apply to uni. Like, I was adamant mm-hmm. after my experiences, that, oh, I'm not smart enough, I'm not really going to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just kind of take this year off. So I lied and told my parents I'd applied to UCAS. Mm-hmm. But then in my final year, so in year 13, I did AS and A2 psychology in one year, just on a whim, because I was like, oh, well, let me just you know, see where this takes me. Yeah, yeah. And then I had my other two A-levels that I was just kind of holding on to because I needed three in the school I was at. Um, and then, I don't know, there was something about psychology that I really connected with. And literally, I think 11 days before university started, I had a panic. I was watching TV, as mm. I had been for like the whole summer. And I was like, what if this is all I do? Like all this year what if I don't find something to do and I was like okay let me just call up five universities so I called up the university I'm at now and they accepted me and I fell in love with psychology in undergrad Mm. and I liked um all the research that was actually outside of the curriculum (laughs) looking at how people understand people's experiences how they narrate their histories Mm. and I felt yeah this is this is a bit of me this fits what I want and it just so happened that the university I was at had a clinical psychology course that I could apply for so I applied to that um straight from undergrad so I've actually done it kind of consecutively and I think for me now more than ever with like social justice being at the forefront of like what I think I'm going to probably be doing long term psychology fits within that despite perhaps some of the current denial about that I think it really it's a vessel and a vehicle for change and of the times I think there's nothing more appropriate yeah I I mean I I totally agree with you and um it's quite interesting listening to your your journey because it's almost like by sort of chance, like you said, actually, you, you kind of switched. Very impressed as well by by doing sort of two years of A-level in one year. So you did your AS and your A-level in one... Yeah, so I did wow. the... At the time, I, I don't know how they work now, I know they're more linear, but the ASs and A2s are normally like you do with some in year 12, some in year 13. That's right. But I, um, I actually lied to my school and said I had an outside tutor. Yeah. So I really do it. And then I had some exams that clashed, so I did the whole being in isolation thing. But I very much crammed because I just felt like it was probably the only thing at that time that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, and to be frank. Wow. Um, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm impressed. And obviously then that, that's of course giving you opportunity to think more about it. And I, I think I hear it quite often, actually, like you, I don't know too many people when they're sort of five, six years old or, you know, even in their teens saying, Oh, I'm going to be a psychologist. Um, yeah. But it's one of those things where I actually start to do it and you're like, 
oh wow, I didn't, you know, I didn't know this was a this was a thing. And you kind of you kind of sort of get get stuck in, don't you? And then there's a few sort of hooks that grab your attention, and all of a sudden, um, like myself, you you know, you're like, uh, you know, a long time. I'm going to give the years, but a long time in in psychology, <laughs> start studying and working. Um, so yeah, okay. Um, well, fact, thank you for that, and I think it's all, it's always useful because I know um, for some of the sort of younger people, especially some of the, the, the um, sort of graduates I talk to, they're always interested in you know clinical psychology. It's the big thing, you know, getting onto the onto the onto the uh, sort yeah. of training, and um, always wondering how people get in. So, so thank you for sharing that. I'm sure a lot of people find that really useful as well. We'll move on, then. and so we're going to start to think about the um, the main. Sort of topic really, and 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 obviously why I reached out to um to to, to people like yourself, and yeah. um of course there, are, psychology is not clean itself, is there? There there is still a lot of issues. Um, you know, a lot of good things. I don't want to I don't want to dismiss that. And a lot of people are working hard from all sort of different backgrounds as well. But there is certainly some um you know it's interesting kind of following sort of things whether it be on sort of social media or in the news um about um i think it was a, for example a letter the other day that was put in the um in, in one of the main publications yeah um which we won't necessarily talk about today but i suppose my question is um what what do you think are some of the biggest blockades for, for for people who are working within psychology um who aren't necessarily from a white british background and use the word blockades because i think barriers is a bit too soft i think these are actually like yeah. full-on full-on blockades so yeah what what would you say from your experience maybe it's been some of the biggest blockades there um i think it's it's really harsh and i feel like sometimes i worry about how i come across when i'm talking about this but i think more than ever i think we have to be really frank and transparent and i genuinely think there's um quite a resistance to non-western ways of thinking um so like i said my parents are nigerian my parents speak yoruba at home there's um a lot of culture that as, as well comes with being a black british person even even if you were born here and there's ways that you make sense of things or understand things there's different ways you describe feelings emotions you know there's very much a connection with things in a different way to how the diagnostic model fits and i think sometimes there can be quite a resistance to that and it can be quite alienating as well so i might talk about things and think well you've described the course for this anxiety in a very Western way. That's not an anxiety that I might hold or it's not a way I might perceive myself in this social situation. That might not be the worry I have. So I think that's an element. But then there's also the really overt stuff where, you know, maybe the stereotypes people hold in their mind about psychologists or someone who works in a mm. kind of scientific or medical sphere that isn't medicine, isn't black and often isn't female you know although that trope maybe has become more familiar in Hollywood these days but <laughs> I wouldn't say that that's the image that people conjure up and I think because that's not there there's almost like I can't understand you and I'm thinking uh, we can understand and un understand each other fine but mm. there's a sense that um who they perceive you to be and the template for psychology and this kind of perfect image of the person that's going to understand my problems and fix it isn't what I look like and I think for me um especially coming up north so obviously if you've been to London it's relatively quite diverse mm -hmm. I'm now in a city that is significantly less so and realizing actually many of the people on my course had not seen a single black client despite the fact that they will be here and mm -hmm. also I think myself and a friend of mine are probably the only black psychologists in the city we're in um 
Wow. I'd be surprised if there are some out there that have yet to, to kind of be seen. And I think that speaks volumes as well to maybe the expectations of other psychologists as well. Wow. So there's, there's a few things in there that I hadn't even really um, considered that are really interesting. Oh. So I think there is... Um, just to sum up, like, obviously, like you said, how you come across, there was this whole thing about this sort of Western versus non-Western and, and find it in my own practice, like trying to, either trying to fit people in models or trying to fit models around people. Mm. And it's, it's such a, it's, it's a challenging one um, as well. Obviously, we have then sort of stereotypes um, about, like you said, what uh, maybe a, a psychologist or some working in psychology, you know, ought to, yeah. to kind of look like. And then... Um, uh, you know, of course, of course, you know, working, I think working outside London and some of the maybe sort of more, um, I say diverse cities, but cities where you're maybe more likely something about your London's, maybe your Birmingham's, I think uh, Bradford Manchester. is Manchester. Um, and yeah, just, sorry, just the, the last thing you said about um, just, just, just there being pretty much two of you. Um, it, you know, it's that thing where you're not surprised, but it, when you hear it out loud, yeah, it's like two. Um, Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. What? I suppose I suppose I wanted to to kind of ask as well. What? Um, I guess from your kind of personal experience, um, I suppose, what are the kind of common negative things that you might have had to deal with in relation to because I think you mentioned about your, your kind of demographic your heritage um yeah what yeah what what what's your personal experience Do you, I mean I definitely want to kind of caveat with this saying that I don't think the field of psychology is bleak and I think I may have just happened to stumble upon men, many an unfortunate situation mm. and I definitely think there is an importance and a value in us being in the spaces that we're in as like black people who are pursuing psychology. Mm-hmm. But I've had some mad experiences. Let me just talk the full, like there's no way that anyone can say that um, racism doesn't exist and specifically within the field of psychology. I've yeah. had people, well, I've had the manager of a team directly say to me, I don't like diversity these days when you go down to London, barely anyone speaks the language and I kind of tried to laugh it off and say yeah you know the difference between languages in the north and the south like the way yeah. we say things you know you really try and tentatively air it towards an accent thing but I think he was kind of adamant and he said oh well you know you don't even sound like you know people don't sound like they're from here and it's meant to be our country um he sorry, also certain so this is so this is a manager of a service yeah the team leader of a service that wow. I was at Um, said this to me directly by the way in front of other people so there was a boldness to it Mm. and um it was actually which I I think really warmed my heart it was actually another psychologist in the team who told my supervisor because I felt uncomfortable to do so I wasn't sure whether how it'd be received I didn't want to perhaps overreact which is what people tend to to Mm. kind of think it is and there was something really nice about having an ally in that situation who kind of went to my supervisor and said this thing was said to Abigail and it's very inappropriate I've had someone try and do an impersonation of my friend's dad who's a Nigerian man kind of put on this fake Nigerian accent which was so far removed from any type of Nigerian accent I've heard in my life and it was just um a bit of mockery I sometimes think that um non-white and perhaps non-British cultures are something that's kind of like a laugh and I think within psychology especially when I, you know, do more reading, I think there's so much wealth and knowledge and understanding that can become from 
come from how people like make sense of their like existence. I think of things like, you know, why someone's language uses this word to describe an experience and how just that knowledge is amazing. Mm. Um, and I don't think it's perhaps perceived that way. I think it's kind of medical model, then kind of like psychological understandings from Western perspective and anything outside of that maybe seems a bit weird, a bit alien, a bit less intelligent sometimes I perceive. Mm. I'm just going to comment. I'm going to do what all psychologists do and say, how amazing is it that not only has my doorbell rung, but this very moment someone has decided to wash my windows. <laughs> like I think, So you're hearing noises and I assure you it's not me just being a crazy person. It's just... Your windows this are getting washed. <laughs> all, all the noisy things have decided to happen, so I apologise for that. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. Um, it's, I mean, there's, there's quite a, a kind of few things that you mentioned. I mean, some some of those stories, and just to remind you know anyone who isn't um, working from a psychology background, so you've mentioned this manager um, who's commented about sort of being very anti diversity, um, yeah. and, and then people. Sort of, you know, mocking an accent uh, among sort of many other things. Um, again, just as a reminder, within psychology, um, you know, uh, an industry where we're supposed to be supporting and helping people. Uh, I'm just laughing because it's just so. It's something that's not unfamiliar, but I think something uh, in other industries I've worked in, I expect. To, I've expected to hear more of it, and I have heard more of it. But to to kind of yeah. hear that being said, um, I mean, how is it making you feel? Just kind of recount that and, and talk about that right now. If I'm honest, I think so. I, uh, how do I explain this? So I went to private school for mm. primary school. I actually moved halfway through, so I went to one private school and then. Basically, they thought I couldn't write, so they thought I was dyslexic, but I was just left-handed. So I was taken out of that school, went to another school. They thought because I was the only black child, I was probably not smart, I guess. Mm. So they never taught me to write. I didn't learn to write until I was about eight. And I, and I moved to private schools. But then I went from those schools to kind of like grammar schools or like state schools. And um, I thought, because I'd been in environments where I was the only black person, that I had a pretty well-rounded understanding of how black people can be perceived. Mm. Um, being from London, obviously, I was around people from loads of different races, ethnic backgrounds. But coming into the professional sphere of psychology, I think I've encountered racism in a way that it's very new. Mm. Um, it's not just kind of um, someone shouting a word at you across the street. It's it's insidious almost. It feels like it exists within the structures that you cannot see nor name. And I think mm. I've personally found that quite challenging because I would have considered myself the black that's used to being around white people. Mm. I would have considered myself a person that was kind of well assimilated. I went to a school where I was taught to speak like this, even though this is maybe not how I might speak at home. Mm. Um, I was around people that were, were often white and I felt or perceived that there was no real difference between us. And maybe that's also an element of like a class thing at the time. But coming into the professional sphere and being kind of like, oh, I don't know how to manage this. There's so many kind of power, privilege, authority things in place that make me feel that I can't really address this the same way. Mm. I think I've gone on an arc from maybe the beginning of my course to being like, oh my goodness, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I shouldn't be in this space. Maybe that's just the overwhelming sense I'm getting from this career that this is not for someone like you. And I've kind of journeyed to a place of like rebellion. 
mm. where no I'm gonna stay here and yeah it's gonna upset you and yeah it's gonna be annoying and you know what that is fantastic to me because the people I'm trying to help aren't you it's the people on the other end of that therapy seat who were going to look at someone who might say the same things that you said to me um and so I, I guess maybe the emotional aspect is, is not so heavy on me now as it was maybe when those things first happened. I'm kind of like adamant, you know, when a child kind of goes, actually, no, you can't, you can't change my mind. I feel yeah. like I'm kind of in that space where I'm almost enthusiastic. I like welcome hearing these things because it gives me further ammunition to protect those that maybe won't have the background that I had and won't have the language or won't have the, the power that comes with like, you know, a title like the ones that I might acquire to defend themselves. So yeah, I feel quite emboldened at the moment no I mean it's, it's it's really inspiring kind of hear that and um uh certainly like that I don't know if defiance is the right word but just saying actually I'm not I'm not gonna let this you know stop stop me on my journey I'm still gonna like you say just just it's gonna give you even more ammunition to try and sort of make you know try and I wouldn't say necessarily make positive change but at least is trying to just to, to stick with it and be there because there are again a reminder of what what we do is they're trying to, to help others in whatever way that might be in whatever psychology industry that you might work in um i've got i mean i've got a few questions from 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 what you mentioned already but one, one of the ones i wanted to, to ask before i forget is um for, 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 for someone who maybe is is quite new so maybe they're an undergrad or they just graduated they just literally stepped into the 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 world of um I mean, not just psychology, but could just be the world of work, but psychology in particular, and, and they come up against those things that you you kind of mentioned. How how did you manage to to bounce back? Like, what? I don't know if there's something specific that you did or said to yourself, or I think there are people you turned to. How how did you bounce back from from some of these things? I think um, it's a combination of multiple factors, but I genuinely think, and I cannot emphasize this enough, like the blessing that comes with community. Mm. And even if, you know, in the age of onlineness, as you talk about, you know, with Twitter, with uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, whatever social media, one thing I can say, despite maybe many of its shortcomings, is it's great for connecting you with people. Mm. And I was I was so blessed. One, when I was in undergrad, a girl messaged me, like literally someone who I wouldn't even say I was that close with and said, oh, by the way, there's a group for people that are interested in doing, um, what do you call it? It's like pursuing the inside doctorate. Mm-hmm. If you want to be, I can add you in it. And I remember being so intimidated because it was the, the largest presence of like professional black people I'd ever been in. And yeah. I was like, this is so strange to me, which is in itself a problem. But I was so kind of shocked and overwhelmed. And I will say, despite the fact that these are people I've some of them I've never met in person, mm. people who perhaps don't know me in my personal life, just the commentary, the conversations they have. Someone might pop into that group and talk about an experience that they've had and it validates mine. And I think that it just has protected me and been a massive buffer. Someone who can say, no, you're not crazy for having that experience. No, you're not mm. mad for wanting to raise that. Here are the different ways that you might be able to deal with that. And I'm, I mean, I, I really struggle with LinkedIn. I won't lie, but I'm happy to connect with people in that way. So that yeah. what I had in that space, that kind of safety net is something that I think everyone should have accessible to them. And I think even spaces like this, where people will hear the names of other people in psychology who might have experiences like them is so powerful so so powerful and um the other one I think was truly not ever wanting to deny my identity Mm -hmm. I think that was like having perhaps parents who were kind of like yeah you're Nigerian be proud of that um you know this is where you're from it doesn't matter you you can be born here you can be born there you can have an accent you can not have an accent whatever um 
there's a maybe that's a very Nigerian thing, just like a really strong pride in in where you're from mm-hmm. and feeling that like to deny that in any space, I'd be losing out. And mm-hmm. I think um there, there, there's a lot more of that, I think, now anyway, but people celebrating like their nationality, their heritage their heritage, their ethnicity, and it being sort of like strength and kind of something that's special about you rather than, oh gosh, it's the thing about you that's not British. But yeah, I think those two things probably helped me. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I think I, I think so so important. Um, and I, I think what I quite like for your answer is that you were quite, you were very um, it was quite personal to you as well. Like it was obviously things that you know a lot of people can use, but actually how you you've gone away and used that. And um, I, the, the, I mean, I, I, I like both the sides. The community thing is something I've noticed as well. Is 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 coming up. Um, quite a bit I don't know if it's always existed there um but I, I know for, so um, for example with the uh, industry I work in we have a whatsapp group which is great I think yeah. we started off with about five of us about um uh, a year ago and we're, we're at about 30 or 40 now and it's just so you kind of go in uh, and it's nice you see lots of sort of different names from different services yeah. we've got a couple of people from outside London um but but one of the things and I hope they, they won't mind me mentioning them is the um uh I think they've changed their name now to BME and psych- psychiatry and psychology bit um and I think yes. that's, that's run by uh I think Keisha is, is the lady that runs it amongst the various others and I went to a few of their their seminars and um I, I think the first one I went to I was just I, I couldn't talk because it I couldn't believe I think there was about two or three hundred um uh, you know I, I say the word black but just 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 people uh you know uh whether they identify as black mixed heritage um whatever it might be just sat in one lecture um hall I think it was at King's and um I was just I I couldn't believe it because in when I went back to and I've worked in a number of services in inner London very diverse boroughs and among you know between sort of 50 to 70 staff but some of them I was like one of two I didn't I didn't yeah. think there were there were that many other people and um feeling like a bit emotional now talking about it, but it was just it was just like where have all where where's everybody been? I thought it was just me and and a few friends out. So it was um, so that that thing about community and obviously you've mentioned Twitter as well. Again, like I've, I've noticed more of a presence. Maybe, maybe I hadn't been looking out for it as much, but I think just hearing you mention that just it's that experience, isn't it? Like when you when you when you just seeing other people who are just similar, just have some characteristics that are similar to you, and they they do something similar to you. And it's like oh. Okay, yeah, like it's, I'm not, I'm not going crazy. Like this, this happens to you as well. Honestly, um, even thinking about it is putting, putting me in my feelings. Like I remember, yeah. similar to what you said. Like I was in a Zoom call, and it was my first. I mean, it's so small. It sounds really loserish, but I don't care. Come I on. was similar to you. I had that moment of being like, oh my goodness, I'm not alone. And it was my first Zoom call with like maybe three other black psychologists think like they weren't necessarily in the city I'm in. They're from Leeds and Sheffield, and mm. I was with my housemate who's also a black psychologist. And we had to like keep our smiles frozen in space because I was genuinely like, I think I'm going to cry. I think I'm actually going to cry. Because I was like, I was sold a lie that you didn't exist. Like, I I genuinely had a sense that like maybe people like me don't exist in spaces like this. And there's that moment of being so overwhelmed by how far removed from reality you can be when you're Mm. just not in that space. I can't even imagine what it must be like to kind of like 200, 300 people. But it's... 
oh yeah it's very moving yeah um and I think a lot of people are obviously so so grateful for that space but I think all the spaces that are that have been popping up there's a lot of great people that are doing a lot of really good work um and I think that bring, this brings on to another question and obviously um I think I didn't mention this to you um uh sort of previous to, to, to us um, arranging this, but it's something that's come up that I, I don't feel I'm particularly um, the most qualified person to speak on, but something I've observed, and it's the way in particular that um, black female therapists and black female clients are treated. And um, I know we've, we've mainly focused on sort of heritage, ethnicity, etc. And I don't know if there's there's an experiences you've endured yourself or that you've witnessed that maybe you haven't mentioned so far because I feel, and I imagine this will be different for, for each um, uh, sort of, uh, you know, different sort of uh, heritage or, or what have you. Again, being a thing, I think there's a, you know, a lot of things, but I was, I am quite interested in, in understanding a bit more about the, the black female experience um, because it, Again, things I see make me extremely unhappy. But again, it's not it's not about me. I'd, do you feel comfortable to share anything at yeah. all about, about that? I think more than anything, and I think I really struggle with this, and I'm probably still a process I'm working through, is right now anyway, and maybe it's because I watch a lot of TV shows and watch a lot of shows, now slightly more you're seeing like this like black female actually it's normally a psychiatrist, I think mm. I'd say. Mm. And I mean the way they're portrayed, they're not in the nice way, doing the best job. They're normally just kind of there listening, nurturing, agreeing. But then I guess my experience in reality is that um, I find it really, really hard um, to occupy a position where maybe I'm like helping and supporting. But if I come across perhaps as too educated, I'm angry. Um, if I come across as passionate, I'm aggressive. And I, I'm really struggling to kind of <laughs> not feel trapped by that sometimes. Mm. Um, a lot of psychology, like I said, because I think it's so intertwined with social justice, is really close to my heart. Like it's really, I'm passionate about it, advocating for, for pretty much every and any minority group and kind of feeling as though I can't be outspoken in the same way as some of my colleagues, but also kind of seeing maybe the narratives around black women in general mm. right now I have no words for them. I think there's, it's an atrocity. I think there's like, there's so many different ways which people go. It's kind of like a, the hypersexualization, the fetishization, the idea that they're less attractive. And then you kind of roll these, all these narratives up and kind of go, but you can be a black woman in this professional space. And it's like, well, I can be, but I can't escape those things. Mm. Um, and I can't also, sometimes when the cultural side comes into it, I also can't escape the part of me that is very submissive to authority. Um, you know, as a Nigerian, there's a massive respect for age, there's a massive respect for people who you perceive to have more knowledge than you. And then I have to kind of hold that alongside the Britishness of kind of like, no, I know what I'm talking about. I want to be respected. I've worked hard to get here, in quotes. And kind of balling those two things up into the body of like this black female psychologist who I didn't see very many of growing up. I think it can be really hard to feel as though you make sense or that you're a conclusive whole. Um, and I think that's where kind of what you said about the spaces, like any spaces that has like, a group of people that represents some part of you is so validating because mm. every time you have those thoughts kind of, mm, what even are you? Do you make sense? Is there a narrative on which you're the kind of the protagonist of the story? Mm, not really. And then you go back to that group and you go, no, 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 we're all out here trying to kind of make moves in the same direction, trying to help people, trying to make change, facilitate change, both outside and inwards in terms of my own 
narratives of self. Mm. And so I think it's, it's a very interesting experience. And I think it's one that I've really, really struggled with, but I think it's, it's kind of helped me become perhaps a bit more robust on the way. It's something I think, and probably not just myself and, and others are probably, um, uh, been thinking about quite a bit. Um, and just thinking mm. about, you know, someone who maybe um, was in the position that you were in maybe two or three years ago, you were trying to get onto the clinic or, or just going through sort of working, studying, et cetera. Um, yeah. I, I, think, I think you mentioned a, a lot of important sort of things within that. And obviously it's, it's an ongoing thing from the sounds of it as well. There'll still be, uh, although you're, you're, you're um, like you see, it feels like you feel a bit more sort of robust and, and have a bit more of an idea you've got, um, like you said, those spaces that support other people that can, can help you through that process. But, in true psychology form it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, um it's like an evolution isn't it and a, and a progression yeah. and continued development that's the word i was looking for um uh i've got, I've got another question that's come up actually uh, again this is a little bit off um of what i mentioned um and this is something that is quite personal to me so um obviously you've seen my name i've got a very um british kind of like quite Irish Celtic uh, name, um, and obviously with with yourself, I, I don't know. Obviously, in terms of your name, um, I'm wondering about how other people perceive that. So, for example, I know when um, in the past, not actually, yeah, in psychology as well, but when there's a letter sent to someone and it's got my name on it, and then obviously they turn up face to face or put the camera on, and you can see that kind of oh. Oh, that's, yeah. um, I think, touching on what you mentioned before about this narrative about what uh, someone in psychology should look like. And, and uh, yeah. you know, and I just wondered if, you, if you've had any experiences around um, that or you might not have. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, 100%. The heart sink moment when someone looks at you and they go, oh, thank <laughs> <laughs> you. And you can tell there was absolutely no expectation that I wouldn't be blonde with a middle parting and blue eyes. I think, yeah, no, that disappointment, I've seen it before. <laughs> um, it's interesting you speak about a name because it's, I, I go on about this like in the house with my housemate. I guess this is probably the first time I'm talking about it with someone who's not in my house. Mm. But obviously Nigerians, we tend to have very distinct names and Yoruba okay. specifically, the mm. names have meanings. So it's interesting because I found my birth certificate the other day and um, because of like certain changes happened in my family, both Abigail and Daniels are not on my birth certificate. Oh. So the name that I was born with, I have 21 names, okay. 24 and 24, but there's only six on my birth certificate. The okay. names that I have are Oluwatimile, which means God has backed me up, Ife Oluwa, which is joy of the Lord. And, and then my old surname, which was Ogunide, which was like, basically Ogun was like a God of iron. Mm. And so, um, my family are Christians, so we kind of didn't want to keep our surname. But when I was a child in secondary school, where I was, well, primary school, actually, I was one of the few black people. It was myself and maybe like another mixed heritage child. Mm. And my name was Timmy. And Timmy okay. in the UK, spelt with two M's and a Y, is normally a boy's name. Yeah. Now we bring in all like the, I guess, the black female tall person narratives. I'm like 5'11", 5'10 and a half. I was tall. I was kind of chubby at the time. And then my name was Timmy and I didn't have long flowing hair. Mm. And so immediately everyone was like, oh, it's a boy's name. Oh, you're a boy. And I felt so ashamed. Yeah. So I, so my auntie had named me Abigail and that I changed my name by deed poll to Abigail when I was like uh, really, really young. Yeah, yeah. Something I've now sorely come to regret and it's just, well, I'm working through it. But it was a name that 
meant so much. It meant God had backed me up because my parents had struggled to have children. So it was really powerful. But I liked the fact that Abigail was a name that all the other white kids had. And it was a name that people wouldn't struggle to say. No one would take a deep breath on the register. And now coming into a professional space, I definitely noticed that I don't have the same anxieties about my name that my friend does. So she's got a Nigerian surname. Mm. And she always says, oh gosh, when we've written our thesis, like how will I get, will I have struggles getting published? Will they see my name and think, you know, a certain thing or a certain um, perception about why I've written what I've written. And I noticed that I haven't had that thought in a very long time Mm. because Abigail Daniels for all intents and purposes is just any white girl that's British born and raised and has happened to study psychology. Mm. And for me anyway, especially when I think about interviews, I was conscious that I didn't have those worries um, that I might have thinking, oh gosh, do they know what I look like or who I am? And no, I mean, to be fair, I literally have said in every single personal statement as a black woman, because I think that's maybe my defense against that moment, but also because I'm proud of that. Mm. And if there was any other way for me to identify in this kind of very British name that I have now, actually, who you see on paper and who I feel myself to be aren't the same, I would do it. But for now, it's kind of starting with Abigail Daniels as a black female psychologist. (laughs) (laughs) I'm making a point of it so that I don't have that moment of looking at someone in the eyes and feeling as though I've kind of not lived up to who they wanted me to be Mm -hmm. before I've even opened my mouth. So I definitely resonate with the the name thing. I think many a type of that type. (laughs) I, I, yeah, but um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm always, I'm always kind of interested in, 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 in that kind of thing, and um, I think there's some powerful names that that, that you've had um, as well that you kind of mentioned, and, and I always like that the kind of when people tell me the meanings of their names as well, because it, it, it's almost like it's starting like a story, and I, and obviously if you ask anyone I know, I love a story. Um, so that I mean that true I mean, psychologist, that, yeah. Um, that kind of brings on there's a few things you, you, you touched on um, and sort of one of the final questions I wanted to kind of ask is about, I guess, about the journey, but more to do with opportunities and um, not really accolades, I'm, I'm uh, losing the word, but kind of like just thinking about your kind of, you know, obviously we've had A-levels and GCSEs and the whole kind of issues around that for, for people that have... Um, Obviously, there was the, the, the U-turn from the government, but just thinking about the opportunities you've had in comparison to to peers that are of the the kind of majority. And I wondered if you had any. You might. I know some people haven't had that experience, but I wonder if you had any experiences of missing out on things or noticing that your your grades are a bit different to, to other people and wondering what's or, or even just special attention uh, that 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 others might receive, but but you haven't received. Do you have anything you want to share around that? Oh, I do. I remember. Um... Oh, I'm trying to tactfully, uh, at a point in my education, uh, or which point I won't say, Mm. but I remember really noticing the difference between how um, teachers, lecturers, professors, whatever you might call them, the person that was educating me would respond to me um, Mm. in comparison to my white peers. And I remember this distinctly because it happened for years. And I realized I was the only person with two other people in my class who the, the teacher could not remember their name. And I remember feeling so confused because I tell you now the class was not big, okay? Also, there's only three of us that are ethnic and we weren't all black. Mm. So I had this moment of thinking like, what is this level of familiarity? And I, let's say the person's name was John. I remember every single time the teacher would address John, they would prefix the question by, yes, John. And then kind of with <laughs> the question, oh, yes, John. And this would happen with everyone else. And then to me, it was like, yeah, you in the back? 
And I remember thinking, am I invisible? Is there something about me? And I remember it was just a sense of that barrier, not addressing me by my name, whether it be the name on birth, my birth certificate or not, was mm. a sense of you are not worth getting to know. And I think that sends such a loud and voluminous like message to a young person that the person that is disseminating knowledge to you, the person that is potentially responsible for marking your work, the person that decides whether what you've done is good enough, kind of high enough standard that you can go beyond this and be someone, has said from the very beginning, you are not someone I want to know. And it almost felt like a screen, like a screening process of kind of like, no, you've just not made the cut for those that are kind of going to be welcomed into the fold. You're not the type of person that we welcome into this kind of space. And I think I, I definitely have noticed that. And even kind of in my schooling, like I was, I'm an only child. I spent a lot of time by myself reading because my parents thought TV was bad. Like it was a really interesting childhood, but more than anything is I was very smart as a child. Mm-hmm. That, that's something that I was always told, but in my school, because I couldn't write, um, they gave me the pencil in my right hand and I picked things up on my left hand. So I probably was already left-handed by that point. Um, they decided I was dyslexic and that um, I was behind my peers. And my, my, the way my mother fought the school, no, it doesn't make sense. I'm sorry, she reads books at home. She can't be less intelligent. There's no way. And they say, she's very chatty. She gives good answers, but she's just not good at written work. So we think she's quite behind. And it was only when my parents bless them and their fighting spirit literally paid to go to like a like an outside teacher to do an assessment of me and they said oh she's just left-handed and I learned to write in that in that separate mm. school and my mom snatched me out of that school so quick yeah. and was like you're not going back there because they've tarnished they've kind of painted you with this label they've decided what your future is going to be and I'm not going to allow their expectations to limit you and I think that is a massive credit to my mum yeah. and her pushiness and her Nigerianness and kind of how dare you suggest that she can be anything less than the best. But these experiences that many, many children even now will probably be having where a teacher has looked at them and has decided their academic ability, their intelligence and pretty much their future just by a glance. And I, I think that's something I'm really like kind of quite passionate about when I look at people, mm-hmm. when I connect with people online, I want I want to be able to support and help knowing that they won't be limited by those that have too low expectations of them. Cause it happens a lot. I think far more than people like to admit as well. Yeah. I mean, um, one thing that stood out to me almost that kind of, you're not worth, like there's no point getting to kind of know you or, or learn your name. And, yeah. um, among like so many other, I'm just thinking about again, cause you touched on the thing about the, um, obviously sort of, uh, the writing and, and obviously, just a simple thing, just switching the, the pen or pencil to another hand. And um, I mean, I probably would need another episode for, I'm just trying to think of all the messages that that would have been sending to you, you know, at the, you know, at that time and throughout. And like you said, for you, I think it's, I mean, it sounds like your, um, your parents have been, um, uh, you know, fantastic um, with mm. you. And, um, but obviously for, for some others, again, it, it, it just takes one or two things to, to kind of, you know, one or two other things to kind of go against you. But it's, again, it's that thing you mentioned about having all of these, you know, these blockades in place before you've even yeah. got going. And a, a lot of these sound like they were happening way before you even got into psychology in the first place. Yeah, um, that's true. The things that you wouldn't even, I wouldn't have been thinking of a career at that point. So someone's potentially going to have their lives shaped and changed and molded before they even get to make those decisions. And I think it's it's really important, I guess, acknowledging right now is that like a massive amount of why I'm still able to be where I am is like, it's privilege. 
So my parents could pay. That, mm. That's the fact. So mm. now when we're talking about like a class issue, if you happen to be black and your parents can't pay, you're the child that they then decide is dyslexic and treat you as such without, instead of giving you additional support for how many years? Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's so... I think it's so disgusting, I guess that's the only word, mm. that um, it, it's almost like money becomes the bargaining tool to kind of like balance another inequality. And that's another problem in itself. I think it's, uh, it's painful and horrible to think about. And it's, I guess, part of what keeps you going when you're in positions like this, where you think actually, no, someone should never have to do what I did or have the privilege that I had to get to where I am now because my counterparts d- didn't. Yeah. Um. Again, thank you for, for, for sharing. I promise there aren't any more um, surprises um, in terms of questions. But I, I, I do th- I think it, it, it is important, uh, like, like we were saying before, it's just about sort of sharing our, our kind of stories. Um, and there will also be lots of different elements that overlap with others, some that are you know, quite unique to yourself as well. And um, yeah. I'm hoping it serves as a reminder as to... Um, there's still a lot of work to do. Like you said, it's not it's not all doom and gloom. It's not bleak, um, but, but you know, um, there, there's a lot of work. Um, so, I, I was saying to you before, I, I don't want this just to be about oh, you know psychology. It does this and does that, and I'm just I, you know I want to try and be proactive with this as well. And um, yeah, and so the the, the the last thing I kind of want to end on was just thinking about if there was kind of one thing that um, kind of needs to change in your field or that you'd hope that people could look at what what would that be if there's like one thing that they could do really well to try and not avoid but reduce the amount of of this happening in the future um it's difficult because i probably it's probably something that doesn't just apply to psychology mm. or even this space but genuine just acknowledgement mm. i think one thing that we can say about without bringing in the US, because I guess it's not necessarily relevant here, is that there's something overt about the problems in the US that people then can really kind of go, yeah, yeah, that's so racist, that's so mad. Like, it's so extreme, it's so graphic, it's so publicised that it's not denied. And I think here, much of the conversation about racism is mainly debates as to whether it's a thing, whether it's a problem we have, whether it's what's happening, whether it's what's affecting people in the way that it's affecting. And that debate lasts so long, we never get to any solution. We never get to any kind of proactive, okay, yeah, we know this has happened. And I think I'm someone who is now really pushing for that acknowledgement. Let's not call it, like I said, everything that's happened. Let's not call it the difficulties that people have to overcome. We call them barriers, we call them blockades. The systematic institutionalized racism is the problem. Mm. and we almost begin to have to call that spade a spade and like allow that to become part of the narrative. So, oh yeah, you know, the death of George Floyd, the unlawful murder, all the difficulties people had getting on the course, the racism that allowed people to not be perceived as intelligent or as well-spoken or as reflective as their white peers. Mm -hmm. I'm all for using language to kind of restructure the narratives that we have around things because I think that's what allows things to kind of pass by oh yeah you know faced many challenges and it almost puts like the challenges are like somewhere mystical in the environment that we can't kind of hold on to or tangibly make a change in oh no it's this group of people it's this subgroup of highly privileged individuals who have this perspective that means you can't access that space Mm. and I'm I'm kind of 
I mean, the South London is like, I'm hotting everyone up. That's what, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, in Korean, it's like, I'm going to hot you up. Oh. Like, I'm going to label you. I'm going to say your name. I'm going to put you on blast. Let everyone know what you did, what you're saying, and why you've been the way you've been. And I think yeah. that is that is what psychology, and I think people need to be doing more. If something happens to you, I, I'm all for don't protect those who aren't protecting you. Be speaking out, be linking yourself with people that can protect you, that can support you, that inspire you. But mm. when it comes down to describing things that happened, I won't be doing airy fairy. I won't be doing maybe this, maybe that. I think we need to be explicit, and I think that's going to make a massive stride. It's going to be a massive stride forward when people stop kind of confabulating and making new words and finding ways to avoid <laughs> this elephant that is no longer in the room. It's literally just destroying the whole building. <laughs> so. <laughs> think yeah at this point i'd love 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 for um for us to begin acknowledging the truths that are existing in our profession and also just in society as a whole yeah I've, wow um it's it's interesting so I, I think from for myself i've never i never thought about calling it actually just acknowledging because it's almost like Sometimes, and I've been guilty of this as well, almost trying to get to the next step already without even thinking, hold on a sec, like, let's let's rewind a minute and let's actually, like you say, let's just clearly label this for what it is. Let's actually acknowledge this. Let's not use sort of fancy words or, mm-hmm. or what have you and, and, and really just be quite raw with it. I think essentially yeah. that's the um, which is which is ironic because of course when you work with a when you are working with a client um, and you're trying to get them to um, uh, especially dependent on the way that you're working with them obviously but if, if you're trying to make change if you're you know, working in a goal sort of uh, minded or oriented way yeah. it, it, you have to acknowledge what's going on first don't you wouldn't just say well let's yeah, just yeah. do so it's 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 quite interesting that literally it's from the very thing that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, a lot of us as therapists, and obviously there's lots of different types of therapy, but a lot of us are kind of taught to to kind of do as well. Um, one thing I have to address: I've not heard the phrase "hotting up" for years. <laughs> um, I I I forgot that was even. Yeah, I do remember? I do remember that. Um, yeah. Um, so uh, thank you, thank you so much. Um, I just wanted to see if there was anything that you wanted to to kind of plug or. Um, that's what your socials are oh my goodness um okay uh i am daniels abigail on twitter so basically abby daniels but reverse because let's be honest we know my name's been taken um (laughs) i'm currently part of the healthcare leadership academy um one of their scholars for this year so i'm running their like online platforms and i'll be doing that from september so i will be connecting with loads of people probably like you um in the hopes that i can use my platform the same way you have to kind of change narratives hear people's stories hear people's experiences um but yeah and I don't really have any other socials to to plug I mean you can find me on LinkedIn I guess but, <laughs> yeah. I'm quite shy on social media I struggle <laughs> well that's fine it's, it sounds like you did some fantastic work um Abigail thank you so much for forcing for coming on to the um onto the show today and um obviously all the best of luck with the uh with the uh the, the project that you're working on the thesis and, and obviously finishing the training and uh, looking forward to seeing you and many others uh like you um obviously working in the field um in the near future thank you so much it's a blessing and i think what you're doing is absolutely beautiful i think i'm really inspired and i think using just a space like this it's a very psychology thing to do using your space to hear stories. but also i think it's just something that more and more needs to happen for people to actually realize 
like you and I had that moment of, oh my gosh, we're not alone. I think this is a really powerful thing to do. And um, yeah, I'm privileged to be part of it. Well, well, thank you, and um, I, hope, I hope that obviously everyone listening has enjoyed this. And um, yeah, I'll be able to um, sort of pop Abigail's uh, socials and her plugs into the description as well. So, thank, thank you very you. much. For, for talking to Abigail, I think there's something about her, her defiance. And she was, you know, extremely just kind of, she just, just went for it. And it was really inspiring, really inspiring. I think my heart sunk a few times during this one. And, and this was one of the earlier ones that's, that was recorded. And I think having done this episode quite early on, I was hoping it wasn't going to be the theme for what I was going to hear, but sad, sadly it was. But I think the the idea about there only being sort of two psychologists in, in that city where she'd been studying and working, I think for me was like the first red flag. But after that, the, the, the story about the manager, I'm still fuming now. It, that That's hard to listen to. That's really hard to listen to it does remind me about a few things I want to try not to talk about too many stories but I, I went to uni in the Midlands and that's pretty much my experience of being outside of London but there were, there were a lot of there were just a lot of things going on there where I thought I was back in the 80s like this is England but that that's what that story reminded me of it was just and then like the fake accent as well it was just you know, that that was really hard to hear. That was really hard to hear. Even even if I've you know I've got friends and I've seen this stuff being happened. I've, I've been you know worked in recruitment agencies where that stuff is rife. I don't know if it is now, but it was certainly at the the place where I worked. That was really sad to hear. The school experiences as well were quite depressing to hear as well and obviously you know Abigail and the combination of her and her parents they really pushed through that but I just felt like like with a lot of schools really that they just kind of threw under the bus like luckily she was able to come maybe kind of roll over and get out of the way but you know they just they just they just threw under there you know it's really sad and I think she raised some really important points about her parents being in the position to be able to help but you know, they still had to spot that. And, and you know, it's, re- it's really pleasing to hear that, that that's the support that she got at that time. You know, shout, shout out to Abigail's parents, definitely. Obviously, we talked a little bit about the black spaces. And I think one of the questions that rose for me afterwards was, and I, I need to go and reflect on this a bit more, but it, it's what does it mean to be a like a black psychologist or a black therapist I feel like the term black obviously in one way or another is quite problematic but you know I feel like we've only just figured out how to be to be black British and now being a 
for me anyway and and you know I think most of the people that I, that I spoke to being a black British therapist that like what what does that mean the black female experience is is obviously something that's close to my heart I guess more in terms of just I've just seen some horrific things that make me really sad and when we're having conversations particularly with with the young black women that are, are coming up and you know doing their thing I have I, something I have to mention and just say, you know, either come talk to me, but talk to someone about it, because I've I've just seen some things where I think as Abigail put it correctly, just blatant racism, really. I, again, this isn't every single instance, but it's one of the themes that I've been seeing both as for therapists and for for clientele as well. It reminds me with the kind of um one one of the stories she mentioned it, it kind of reminded me of when when I was in school and more about my features like sometimes the white kids was ask me you know why have you got such big lips or why is your nose so big and things like that you become quite conscious and you do I suppose if you're not in the right environments all the time you do start to question and it, it does become this almost I can say like self-loathing to an extent of just different parts, you know, rejection of parts of yourself. And I'm sure I'm not alone. Uh, I'm not alone in that where I'm sure people have experienced that before. Certainly not nothing I think about now, but certainly something that, that's come up for me in, in the past. Coming back to the school thing, there's something about, uh, Abby was talking about the, almost this kind of screening process where you're being filtered out from a young age and teachers treating you a certain way. And I think it was upsetting because of, of self-esteem, I, I think is a big issue and, you know, great for, for people that are quite resilient, that they can use it as extra fuel, but some people aren't going to bounce back. There was a, I think with with this, particularly this is an episode that focuses more on the on the school side of things, I think, compared to some of the other episodes. And I think one of the one of the things it reminded me of is this kind of this kind of um covert racism that, that goes on. I think you talked about it in regards to in America, it's quite overt, like it's very, very in your face when when things can go on. But it's it's very covert here and it's hard it, it's really hard to you can call it out but then it's hard to get the evidence but trust me you just know I think I think for a lot of people that have experienced it you just know not even just the racism the sexism the homophobia all of the stuff that goes on you, you just kind of know sometimes it reminded me of a a book and, a, and an audio book as well that I've I've been Sort of following by Dr. Jawanza, and it's called the it's called Countering the Conspiracy to Destroy Black Boys. Some of it's a little bit outdated, and some of it, if you're not of the religious type, you might not necessarily sort of agree with or follow. But it really hit home some points. I think if you get a chance, it's about an hour. I think uh, if you want to listen to it and to read it, you can get it on. Obviously, most bookstores not going to promote anything, but yeah, it's a real. I think it's a, it's a real important one. 
for me anyway, is something that since lockdown I listen to and it's kind of shaped the way I, I think about certain things as well. One thing I wanted to do was to, to share some writing that I've done. So for those of you that, that know me a little bit better, um, I write obviously books and you can call them poems, but I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what, what we'd call them. But it was one that I wrote. I was in a, I think I was in a service where the area was one of the most diverse in, in the city. So in London and they're talking about diversity and engaging the black community and this, that and the other. And it was about, I think there was about 70 staff in the room. And I was one of 70. So I went upstairs to, uh, um, to a room and I just sat down and I just started writing this, this poem called, um, it's called Where Are All My People? So I'm just going to read that now because this episode really spoke to me and it really reminded me of this. I'm feeling isolated, socially castrated. I've been looking all over, but I can't find my faces. When I ask why I'm so lonely, you say we don't apply. But when I ask my brethren, how come they say they tried? Something here is missing. Something don't feel right. Both of yous can't be telling the truth. So someone must be lying. We're stuck on this plantation. We're close to the beginning. We're on the downwards escalator. The next level keeps on rising. And every battle won brings a fractured promise. Every door cracked with persistence. You slam and double bolt it. The system's so corrupted. Rules remain with odd exceptions. We might be making progress, but man, I feel so hopeless. Yet still I'll keep my focus. Think of all my elders. They sacrificed so much for me, and so I must stick with this. We must keep our focus. Think of all our elders. They sacrificed so much for us, and so we must stick with this. But where are all my people? Where are all my people? I've been looking all over, but I can't find the others. Where are all my brothers? Where are all my sisters? I guess I must have blinked. You said I must have missed them. I used to sit among my queens, the now endangered species. As I rose up through the ranks, they were offered bits and pieces. And when they made mistakes, you gave that hardest snigger. Put the S straight to the end. That's how you really see them. I dreamt that we could win this game. I dreamt that we could do this. But back in conscious life, slippery snakes and smashed up ladders. Your constant lip service, we know it's just a speech. But we ain't asking for the world, just real equity. Where are all the black men? I hear this all the time. Why don't your people come for help? Tell us where they're hiding. Why do you ask this question? The evidence is clear. No safe space to seek support, plus it's you that we all fear. How is this an issue? It's 2018. If I hear this one more time, I am going to scream. But where are all my people? 